Welcome to the Parish Not Podcast. My name is Rodney and I am your host for our time together today. Holy Spirit and I have precision vision for the podcast. We seek nothing but the salvation of sinners and the sanctification of saints. Ready? Here we go. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, we have opened up today's show with Lady Gaga and her famed song, her anthem of America and those who believe in the devilish doctrine that I was born this way. That's right, that's Lady Gaga and the first stanza of her song, Born This Way. Read a little bit of the, uh, the opening stanza and it goes like this. It doesn't matter if you love him or capital H, capital I, capital M. Just put your paws up, because you were born this way, baby. My mama told me when I was young, we're all born superstars. She rolled my hair and put my lipstick on in the glass of her boudoir. There's nothing wrong with loving who you are, she said, because he made you perfect, babe. So hold your head up, girl, and you'll go far. Listen to me when I say... I'm beautiful in my way, because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself, and you're set. I'm on the right track, baby, because I was born this way. Oh, there ain't no other way, baby. I was born this way. Baby, I was born this way. Oh, there ain't no other way, baby. I was born this way. Right track, baby. I was born this way. Okay, Rodney, so why should we begin our... This podcast centered around Lady Gaga and her song, Born This Way. Well, that's a great question. And what really kind of piqued my interest, and the Holy Spirit kind of quickened me, I think, it was because I was looking at an article on the Christian Post. And the Christian Post is an online digest of Christian news, kind of like the uh, Drudge Report of Christian Thought. And I wanted to just address what I saw in this one article by R.A. Vernon of the Word Church in Cleveland, Ohio. Now, the article on the Christian Post is dated January 17, 2023, and its author is Leonardo Blair, who I have come to appreciate much of his writings. is very insightful, very thoughtful-provoking, and I appreciate what he writes. On this article, the title is Citing Psalms 51, Prominent pastor R.A. Vernon claims scripture proves some gay people are born that way. 
Interesting, isn't it? Scripture proves. Well, that's a pretty declarative statement. So we're going to dive into the article a little bit and hear what he has to say from his own mouth and then read a little bit from the article itself and kind of give you a, a grander perspective of where I'm going to take this because this is a doctrine that is in the church that is um, it's insidious. It's, it's demonic. And uh, I'm going to open that up a little bit. But let's get into... And let's hear a little bit about what, excuse me, what Mr. Vernon has to say. How many single people are having sex in church? 60%, 80%? How many people have crept on their spouse? How many adulterers are watching? Or how many adulterers in our church? If the stats be true, what, 50%? So only 3.5% of people are gay. So people ask, how come you don't preach more about it it's not even the biggest issue in my church by far <laughs> now i got more single people that want to be loved and by the way i'm not putting them down because it's so natural to want somebody to touch every time i get through making love to lady vernon this is a bible cast because i'm a pastor she'll tell you i'll lay there and say man anytime a single person does what we just got through doing which is a stress reliever for me making love to her because I don't drink, I don't smoke, you know, I, I'm, I've been saved all day. And so my stress reliever is making love to my wife. And I think to myself, trip on this, every time a single person do this, they sinning. The most natural thing in the world, and every time they do it, they feel distant from God. Ooh, that's a trip. I'm sorry. I got to pause parenthetically and I'm, I'm going to wrap up, but I need you to catch this. Have you ever praised God that your sins are natural? Somebody should be putting some comments. Have you ever just jumped up and went to praise and said that, that at least your sins are socially acceptable? That your sins are what we call natural? If a bro creep on his wife, man, she wasn't making love to me. She talked back to me. I was in LA. Girl walked up on me. I just feel, man, I understand, man, people. People fall, bruh, because we see his sin as wrong but natural. Now, bruh, walk up to me. Let me start with me and say, yeah, man, I kissed this dude the other day. I'm like, bruh, I need a minute. You know why? Because that's not natural to me. Can we talk? The thought of a man touching me make my skin crawl. Any heterosexual bro would tell you, I don't even want your foot on me. I, I mean, you, get your phone and touch me. I, my son's getting big. I don't even want their foot on me no more. They my son. Like, Negro, you get your big foot. A heterosexual bros cannot understand another man kissing me. Another man putting this in my, that's we talking straight. So because of that, it's hard for us to identify with somebody who was born that way. He was. She was born that way. From day one, he liked Dows more than he liked G.I. Joe. I'm dating myself if you're my age. He didn't want to play with G.I. Joe. He wanted to play with G.I. Jane, the Barbie doll. He don't know why. He thought his mother looked cute in skirts. He's in the, in the mirror trying on lipstick. I ain't never do that. I ain't never want to do that. But attracted to the opposite sex or to the same sex from birth. I was born this way. That's true. That's true. So there you hear, in his own words, a pastor who pastors according to his own numbers, thousands of people 
over 23 years, the most qualified person to talk about this issue. You'll learn him. You'll hear him say that if you listen to his podcast in in its entirety. Says basically, it's okay if you're single to have sex outside of marriage. It's okay because it's just the natural thing. You were born that way. Well, unfortunately, he doesn't agree with the Apostle Paul, and actually he's rejecting the Holy Spirit himself. Because we can read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, the Word of God says this, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So here we have a pastor who is denouncing through his own thought processes the concept of virginity, sanctification, and holiness. This is a man, or a quote, a quote pastor, who should not be listened to. He should not be followed. Now the next clip I'm going to play for you is towards the end of his podcast. And this is going to demonstrate without a doubt, according to his own words, out of his own mouth, the hypocrisy of the statements that he just said about being natural and being sexual as a single person. That is okay. It's just natural. And you're born that way. I think you'll find this next clip exciting from the standpoint that you're listening to it is like, what's this guy saying? But yet it's also enlightening in the fact that, yes, Rodney, you're right. This man is imbalanced, biblically unbalanced, and is espousing hypocrisy. Let's start with the clip. going to make you that small because of what you struggle with or agree with. My official position is that God made man for woman and woman for man. That the only sex that's okay is not only is not even between a man and a woman. That could be sin between a husband and his wife. If two people engage, they sin it. If you and your wife tripping and you go outside the marriage, you're sinning. If you watch your pornography, you're sinning. And to me, if you sleeping with somebody of the same sex, you're sinning. But we all got stuff. We, we all need God's grace. I want to pray now. I... So there you have it in his own words. And just like every deception, there's always a little bit of truth in there. And, of course, he's laying the biblical foundations of marriage, 
man and a woman, sex, that's the only time where we should have it. But then again, previously in the podcast, we've heard him say it's natural, it's just the way it is, everybody's got their stuff, you just have to deal with it, and that's okay. So I just want to take the opportunity just to lay a foundation as to uh, the lack of veracity that this quote pastor has and why the Christian Post even began to quote him or point out the arguments of the ar article itself. Uh, again, the podcast is not about homosexuality. This podcast is not about sexual immorality, which, number one, if you are performing sexual immorality, you're not married, you're having sex outside of everybody, then, you know, you're just breaking the law of God, and you're going to have to pay the price for that. If you're, quote, in the church and you're practicing that, you're on very dangerous grounds, because if you continue it, and you don't repent from it, and you think it's okay, then ultimately you're going to end up in the bowels of hell. And that's not something that I want for you. So you need to just stop and reassess and regress back to what Scripture says. Sanctification, holiness. If you're married and you're having an adulterous affair, you're also breaking the law of God. You're sinning. You're breaking the Seventh Commandment. And let's see, you're also breaking the Tenth Commandment because you're coveting somebody else. And then you're breaking the number one commandment because you're making a God unto yourself. So anyway, you're just in trouble. You need to repent. And I can speak from experience there. So we'll save that topic for another time. But again, let's get back to the subject matter of what this podcast is really all about. And it's about the demonic deception that I was born that way. I was born this way. And that just basically seems to, in a perverted way, and the person that articulates that mindset and that mentality is that I'm I'm not I'm without excuse. God, you made me this way. I was born this way, so how can you judge me? Which is really what it comes down to. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's just a lie that Adam told God in the garden. God is the woman you gave me. But we're gonna see, and I'm gonna lay out for you why I was born that way is a doctrine of demons that's in the church today. Now, while the subject matter is homosexuality, and I was born that way, so it's okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to expand the envelope and bring it within the Christian community. Because many people will say, I was born a sinner. And I'm going to show you, through the scriptures, why that's a, that's a lie from the devil himself. I'm going to lay out some scriptures for you. I'm going to give you some practical an analogy. And hopefully you'll be given enough evidence to actually stop and rethink the issue for yourself rather than just swallowing it hook, line, and sinker like I did for the first 20-plus years of my Christian walk. Okay, so now we're going to look at a foundational scripture that not only does the pastor here, Vernon, use, but also the entire American church seems to use, and that's Psalms 51 about David. And it says, I was born in iniquity. Well, we're going to take a look at that scripture. And I'm going to show you why the possibility is, through the Hebrew and the per Hebrewic mindset, why that may not be the truth as far as I was born in iniquity. I think there's just been a misreading. Well, I'm sure there's been a misreading of it. I misread it because I just believed what I was taught and told. This is what the scripture means. But when I began to walk through UOGW, 
Holy Spirit began to show me how that's actually not the truth. So we're going to look at that setting real quick. But here's a clip from Pastor Vernon as he articulates that specific viewpoint that I was born a sinner. Like, I ain't never do that. I ain't never want to do that. But attracted to the opposite sex or to the same sex from birth, I was born this way. That's true. That's true with a lot of people. They were born that way. Pastor, prove it. Psalms 51 verse 5. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, NLT version. You, you grew up, I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. You don't tell yourself what sin. There are people who are born, let's look at this anthropologically, biologically, and they arm broke. There are people who are born, watch this, and they got mental stuff. Why is it so hard for us to believe, if you believe that it is sin, if you don't, that's okay, that you can be born with sexual brokenness, that you attracted to what you're attracted to, that you like what you like. That's real for some people. So I'm not the pastor who doesn't believe people were born that way. Oh, I believe that. I believe that. Okay, before we look at the foundational scripture that he used for his teaching, let me just start off by saying that I just need to begin to lay a foundation for the scriptures that I'm going to be able to teach for you. Of course, I want you to always remember that the very first rule in the science of biblical hermeneutics or biblical interpretation is to answer four simple questions. Number one, who's speaking? Number two, what's he saying? Number three, who are they saying it to? And number four, why are they saying it? Answering these four questions are going to give you a proper context to the subject matter at hand. And that's where we come to the magic word of context. Because a text without a context is nothing more than a pretext. And a pretext is like giving a teenager the keys to your car and say, go wherever you want to go. Only trouble ensues. Period. Again, just look at the word context itself. It's a two-syllable word, context. Now, if you remove the word text or the syllable text out of the word, what are you left with? Con. C-O-N. And whenever you never have context, you're always going to be conned by the speaker speaking. So remember, context, context, context. So important. Getting the context, answering the four W's. The next thing I want you to keep in mind regarding context is looking at the biblical principle that Jesus reaffirmed when he said, let every matter be confirmed by two or three witnesses. We can see this scriptural, scriptural principle laid out, first of all, by God to Moses in Deuteronomy 19. Again, Jesus reaffirmed that in Matthew 18 in regards to church discipline. And Paul also reaffirmed the principle in 2 Corinthians 13. So remember, let every matter be confirmed by two or three witnesses in the midst of your context after answering the four W's. All right, so let's begin by going to the scriptures and seeing exactly what the scripture says regarding this matter. Now, Pastor Vernon used the New Living Translation, and he quoted Psalms 51, 5, saying, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. So, that's the text that he used. And I can understand why he would think from that text that, 
you know, we're born a sinner because that's what that text says. And some of the most modern translations do say that and, and leave you with that impression. Look at the New International Version. It says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So I've been sinful at birth. When the time I was born, I was a sinner. The New Living Translation was, I was born a sinner. The Christian Standard Bible said, says, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says basically the same thing. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. So if you follow the principle that I laid out earlier about let every matter be confirmed by two or three witnesses, you would think, okay, here's four witnesses that said that I was born a sinner. But not so quick. Not so quickly. Because if you do your due diligence and you're a thinking Christian, you're going to look at multiple translations. And as we look at additional translations that were written prior to all of those, content, quote, contemporary versions that I read, we're going to get a different picture. Let's first of all look at the King James Bible. It says, Psalms 51.5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The English Standard Version says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Hmm. The New King James Version says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. The New American Standard Bible the 1977 version says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And it's no... Well, it's no surprise that the New American Standard Bible, 1995, which is the version I use, says the very same thing as the 77 version. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So here we got five, not three, not four, but five Bible verses that basically place the blame not on me being born, but my mother's activity. My mother's activity. So that's kind of earth shattering. It really truly is. So what really is the truth? Well, you just want to go back and just continue to peel back the layers of that of that hermeneutical onion. And you come across, I came across, uh, an old Hebrew site called the NazareneIsrael.org. And in this teaching, it's very, very interesting. I began to read it, and, it's, and the title was, it's in chapter 18, it says, Was King David Illegitimate? Was King David illegitimate? And I'm going to read from it a little bit because it's going to go through and it's going to open up the doors to the Old Testament customs and courtesies and understanding of the day. 
See, it's very important that we go back and understand what was written when it was written, rather than trying to interpret what was written through the eyes of the American church or through our Western mindsets and our Western mentalities. We have to understand what was said, who said it, why they said it, and who were they talking to. Answering those four questions, again, brings you the proper context. So let me just read through this really, really quick for you. And it gives context. We're going to go back and look at 1 Samuel 16. And we're going to be talking about Psalms 51.5. Okay, here we go. This is just an amazing article. And it's like, wow, sheds light on it. And I'll show you why. I'll talk with you briefly about the difference between the description of sin and a definition of sin. Can you give me a biblical definition of sin and a biblical de description of sin? We're going to talk about the nature of sin and, and yada, yada, yada. Anyway, let's just get back to the article here. This is on the NazareneIsrael.org site, chapter 18. And it starts off by saying, Was King David illegitimate? The article re starts, It may seem hard to accept, but in this article we will see evidence that King David was illegitimate. Now, it doesn't say proof. It just gives you evidence. Again, be a thinking Christian. Think, think, think. Tear it apart. Be like the Bereans. Search the scriptures. Again, we will see evidence that King David was illegitimate. We will also see how it relates prophetically, not only to Yeshua, but also to us as Ephraimites. That's the tribe of Israel where this document comes from. Further, in future chapters, we will see how this relates to the two houses of Israel and also to Yahweh's grand plan of salvation. Now, in the last chapter, we saw how Samuel, the prophet, had a special anointing that was both Levitical and Melchizedekian. There you go. Melchizedekian. Then in 1 Samuel 16, Yahweh told Samuel to go to Bethlehem and anoint a new king over Israel from among Jesse's sons to replace Saul. 1 Samuel 16, 1-5 Now Yahweh said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? See, I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. But Yahweh said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come here to sacrifice to Yahweh. Verse 3. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what Yahweh said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, and said Do you come peaceably? And Samuel said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to Yahweh. Sanctify yourselves and come to me to the sacrifice. Then he set Jesse and his sons apart and invited them to the sacrifice. That was 1 Samuel 16, 1-5. The narrative continues. Notice that in verse 4 that the city elders, quote, trembled at Samuel's coming. Then in verse 5, we are told that Samuel set Jesse and his sons apart and invited them to the sacrifice. Yet in verse 10, Samuel realized that the future king of Israel was not there, so he asked Jesse if, quote, all his sons were there. The answer was no, that the youngest son was still tending the sheep. Let's continue. 
1 Samuel 16, 10-13. Again, we're talking about context. It's important. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, Yahweh hasn't chosen these. Verse 11. And Samuel, Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to him, Send for him and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and his bright eyes and his good-looking. And Yahweh say, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of Yahweh came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the tradition, the traditional explanation is as to why Jesse did not make sure all of his sons were at the sacrifice is simply that David was the youngest. However, it does not make sense that Jesse would leave any of his legitimate sons out of the feast. Let us consider that Samuel was judge over Israel, meaning he was the most powerful and respected man in the nation, just like a king. So, if a king came to town and set us and our sons apart and invited us to a special sacrifice and told us to bring our sons, would we leave one of them out? Or would we, or would we make sure they were all there? It doesn't make sense that Yash, that Jesse, would leave any of his leg legitimate children out of the meeting with a greatly respected leader of the nation such as Samuel. Yet it would make sense to exclude a bastard son, because a bastard is not normally considered a full legal son, and he does not normally have full legal rights. F for other witnesses to this theory, let us read Psalms 51, which was written by David's which is written after David's adulterous affair with Bathsheba. In verse 5, King David wrote, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. What is King David trying to say here? Traditionally, it is interpreted to mean that David's affair with Bathsheba was due to the same fleshly sinful nature that plagues all of, all of fallen humanity due to Abraham, I'm sorry, due to Adam and Eve's original sin. However, this does not explain why David, King David committed adultery. Because while all humans share the same sinful fleshly nature, not all the human beings commit adultery. And that's true. Why not take King David at face value when he says, In sin my mother conceived me. Why not accept King David was confessing that he was the product of an illicit affair? Wouldn't that explain why David was not invited to the meeting with Samuel, since illegitimate sons are not technically considered full sons? And yet, he was still considered to be a son, such that when Samuel asked if, quote, all of Jesse's sons are here, it could hardly be said that the youngest son was still tending the sheep. Consider also that the scripture gives us the names of the mothers of many of the other important prophets and kings, including Samuel's mother, Hannah. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Moses' mother, Jochebed, in Exodus 6. And Yeshua's mother, Miriam, in Matthew chapter 1.
We are also told that King Solomon's mother's name was Bathsheba. That's in Second Samuel. But we are never told King David's mother's name. Why is her name not mentioned anywhere? There are a few there are a few possibilities. First, if David's mother was married to Jesse, but she had an affair with another man and conceived David, her name might have been left out of the scriptural record, along with the biological father's name, because to bring up the genealogy could have brought shame upon Jesse. Second, and it seems most likely, if Jesse had an affair, or if he had visited a prostitute and she conceived Again, David's mother's name would have been left out of the scriptural record because this would have brought shame upon Jesse. In ancient Israel, when a prostitute conceived, the son could be adopted and raised by the father. For example, Judges 11, 1-2 tells us about Jephthah because he was the son of a prostitute. Judges chapter 11, verse 1-2 Now Jephthah, the Gileonite, was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begot Yepeth. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove off Yepheth out. And he said to him, You shall have no inheritance in your father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So I know that was a long reading, and I appreciate your attention. But I think it was important to understand that we see how the context the customs and the courteouses of the previous day can confuse us, confound us, and even possibly not give us the entire picture of what we're looking at in order for us to make an intelligent decision. So basically, here's the thought. The American church says that we're born sinners, we're born in sin, and they use the scripture verse to justify that. There really isn't any New Testament, New Testament sin, sin born scriptures there isn't one that they'll normally use i'll hear many many times is romans chapter 5 verse number 12 but let me give you some context let's start in verse chapter 10 romans 5 10 for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to god through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life and not only this but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. All right, here's the magic verse, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and also death spread to all men, because all sinned. Paul doesn't say sin spread to all mankind because all were born, but no, all sinned. And this is the next point I want to take us into that I've come to learn that many people in the American church, they can give you a description of sin. They can give you a biblical, a biblical description of sin, but they can't give you a definition of sin. They cannot give you a biblical definition of sin. And that, my friend, is key. That is paramount. Because if you understand what the biblical definition of sin, you'll see that you can't be born into it. Let's look at the scripture itself. 1 John 3, 4. Let's start with some context. Verse number 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, 
and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed upon him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You ask Rodney, what is lawlessness? Well, the opposite is lawful. I do things that are lawful. I do things that are right. So if you do things that are lawful, you can also perform things that are lawless. And that's exactly what sin is. It's lawlessness. So if there's lawlessness, that means there's a law. What is that law? Well, it's the moral law that God has written upon the tablet of our hearts. You can go back and look at the Ten Commandments, and you walk through the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, thou shalt not commit adultery. Those are biblical descriptions of sin. But breaking those laws, stealing, committing adultery, lying, those are actions. And we perform them. That's lawlessness. And you're sinning when you do that. So when people use Psalms 51.5 or Romans 5.12, saying, see, I was born a sinner. No, that's not what those scriptures are saying. Not at all. Because to use those scriptures to justify that you're born a sinner shows that you don't really understand the nature of what sin is. Sin is a choice. Sin is a choice. And we all make those choices. We're all born in a state of innocence until we reach the age of accountability. In Isaiah chapter 7, talks about that in regards to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, for someone to say we're born a sinner, it's impossible. It's impossible. Let me explain to you why. And to understand, we can go back and look at Adam and Eve, but I want to take you farther back into eternity past, and I want you to look at when the angelic world was created. They were created with the knowledge that they were created with. I have no idea what they know other than what the Bible tells us. And the Bible doesn't tell us everything. It just tells us everything we need to know. But we know that when the angels were created, they had a knowledge of God. There is a hierarchy. There's powers, principalities of the air. There's powers of the air. And they all knew God. They knew of his existence. But yet they were born, I'm sorry, they were created with the power of choice. They had personal sovereignty. And we see from Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 that Lucifer perverted that. He made the choice. He got lifted up in his pride through all of his activities, leading worship amongst heaven. It's been speculated by many people. And he thought, well, I'm just going to raise myself up and be like God. And God cast him out of heaven. Now let's transition back down to, to Adam and Eve, specifically Adam. Adam was created. Adam was created with the knowledge of God. And Adam was also created with the power of choice. And God gave him a choice. God gave him a commandment not to eat. But he ate. And he made a choice to rebel against God, just like Lucifer made a choice to rebel against God. 
All right, fast forward to Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to look at the age of accountability principle. So we go back to Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. We see Lucifer created with the knowledge of God. Adam, Genesis chapter 2, created with the knowledge of God. But yet you and I, we are born into this world. We're born in a state of innocence. We're innocent before God. We're innocent before God. Lucifer was innocent before God before he made the choice to rebel. Adam was in a state of innocence before he made a choice to rebel against God. And you and I were born in the state of innocence until we made a choice to rebel against God. And Isaiah chapter 7 talks about that. Let's give you some context. Let's go Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz and said, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men, that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Listen now, verse 15. And he will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. So here we have Isaiah the prophet telling us there is a point, an age of accountability. Verse 15 referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the prophetic voice. He will eat curds and honey at a time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. Well, that's your state, and that's my state, because we were born in a state of innocence, but yet we have the moral knowledge of God written on the tablet of our hearts. We're made in the image of God. But yet, we're babies. Our mental reasoning has not developed. It has not matured to the point where we start making choices for ourselves. And there comes a day in, in every human's life where they cross the threshold from innocence to rebellion. Let me explain. On the day that you became a sinner in the eyes of God, you exchanged your innocence for an indictment. That day may, may be one that you remember very well. Internally, you were confronted with a choice and you made the wrong one. You see, your moral reasoning, which is your conscience, collided with your mental reasoning, which is your mind, and at that moment you sinned. What age did that happen to you? The day you reached the age of accountability is only known to God. What did I do to become a sinner? Well, only God can tell you that for sure, but maybe you do remember the moment. Did you tell a lie by breaking the Ninth Commandment? Did you steal something, which is breaking the Eighth Commandment? Or maybe you screamed at your parents or called them a dirty name, which is breaking the Fifth Commandment. Does that jog your memory? Since that moment, you've lived your life as sinner under the blue skies, crediting sins to your account. That account will come due the day you die, because the wages of sin is death. So for me, the age-old question has been settled. 
What is that question you may ask? I'm glad you are curious. It was been said, it's been asked, am I a sinner because I sin or do I sin because I'm a sinner? Well, I'm a sinner because I sin. I make a choice to sin. Every human being makes a choice to sin. Listen, you're not born a sinner. No one is born a sinner. No one is born gay. No one is born into that situation. They become that through choices, through environments, whatever happens in our own lives. Because the moment we age, reach the age of accountability, where our mental reasoning collides with our moral reasoning, and our mental reasoning always chooses self because of our flesh. Just because a baby cries and screams its own because it wants its own way out of selfishness, that's understandable. That's just a human constitution crying out, change my diaper, feed me, I want my way. But that's not sinful behavior. That's just selfish actions. Sin is a choice. Remember, 1 John 3, 4, sin is lawlessness. It's a breaking of the law. And that's all done by choice. So let me ask you this. In conclusion, what side of the spectrum are you on? Do you think you were born a sinner? Do you think you were born gay? Do you believe the gospel of Lady Gaga? I was born this way. Or do you believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? I understand that the American church has perverted the doctrines and the devil has snuck in, pointing the finger to somebody else. But we all are accountable for our own actions. No one can stand before God and say, hey, you never told me. No one can ever put the blame on God saying, you did this to me. No, no. You made a choice. You made a choice. Listen, I remember the day I became a sinner. I stole something. And that followed me for so many years of my life. I was a thief. I was a thief. But why do people think they're born gay? Why do people think they're born that way? I, I can't even begin to address the environment that you were raised in, the environment you were exposed to. I can't address that. But here's the reality of it. God didn't make you that way. Whatever happened in your life twisted you turned you maybe you just wanted to experiment on it I don't know but it's not God's fault and many people will blame God they'll blame God for who I am and they also blame God for sending me to hell well my friend let me just reassure you that God doesn't send anybody to hell people will end up in hell because they've broken the law of God God has done everything he possibly could to save humanity from going to hell. Because the scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If someone ends up in hell, it's because they've rejected God. They love darkness more than they love the light. 
God has made himself known to every human being on this people planet that's ever been born. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 3 tells us that God has revealed himself through the power of creation, the power of conscience, and the power of Christ. We are all without excuse. And you are without excuse, my friend, if you rejected Christ. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. You can live your life any way that you choose to. He's given you that power of sovereignty. He's given you the power of choice. But if you continue to live a life in rejection of him, he's not going to let you into heaven because you don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. It's my hope that you'll listen to my words today. Think about it. Become a thinking Christian. Find the context. Answer the four questions. Be a thinking individual. Don't just believe what people tell you. Be like the Bereans and go search it out. It took me so many years to grasp that concept because I just placed, a trusted, I just placed my trust in the leaders ahead of me. But that proved to be misguided. So let me just say this. If you're a sinner, you need to repent. You need to place your trust in Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. If, you, if you're a saint, if you're in the church, you need sanctification. You need to fall on your face before the Holy God and say, Here I am. Whatever you do, however you want to do it, change me. And He will. He will. That's His promise to you and to me. Thank you for spending your time with us today. Let me leave you with this closing thought. It has been said that you can never change what you never acknowledge. You are either a sinner in need of salvation or a saint in need of sanctification. In either case, you need to acknowledge your sins and repent of such. If you have done either of those two, let us hear from you. We can guide you down the right path in life. This podcast is a media outreach of the Parish Not Project. You can reach out to us by visiting www.parishnotproject.net.